So I want to begin, this is a new year. We had strategically finished our series study through the book of Hebrews. We worship together in Advent, and now here we are at a new year. And sometimes when there's a new year, there, there's this pressure that I put upon myself of like, this better be good. I better come up with something super clever. No, actually, I never feel that way. But I do have this pressure sometimes of feeling like, all right, we need to, like, like what is the Lord saying? Actually, I always feel that but really give myself to like, okay, God, what are you saying for the new year? And come up with something. Um, I will say this. I've not conjured this up. I feel like the Lord has been speaking to me. And as, as my communication attests to, um, I believe that at the forefront of our efforts this year is going to be efforts towards prayer, growth, immaturity, and prayer. And last week, Rick spoke really well, just as kind of a precursor uh, on his own accord, but because of conversations that we've been having, he felt moved to speak on prayer, and, uh, and I myself am going to just piggyback right on top of that, and we're going to spend some, a number of weeks just doing a study on prayer. And so this morning is going to be um, a bit of an introduction to it all. We won't be studying through a book, which is a little unusual for us. We're going to speak more topically, but I'm really, really believing that the timeliness of this for Capital City Church is of the utmost importance, and that through our obedience of endeavoring to learn and to grow in prayer, that the Lord will meet us, and um, he'll be kind to us. And so I'm really believing some just deep and wonderful things that the Lord is going to do in us individually, but also corporately as it pertains to prayer. So just to kind of open the conversation, I was thinking about this as I was doing some reading and just meditating it on myself if you were to ask or be asked by someone to summarize the whole of the Christian life in one sentence, have you ever thought about this before? If you would have to summarize the entire Christian life in purpose in one sentence, what would you say? Anybody ever asked you that before? Have you ever thought about that before? Anybody come up with something in one sentence? To summarize the, the Christian life, the purpose of the Christian life, the aim, the goal what would you say? To glorify Christ. That's a good one. Anybody else want to take a stab? Any creative writers and thinkers? One of the, uh, the better and kind of more succinct answers that I have heard to that question was taught to me by my high school principal now some 20-something years ago. And it was this, that the, the purpose of the Christian life is to know God and to make God known. To know God and to make God known. And now I don't believe he coined that phrase. I actually think somebody else uses it somewhere. Um, but that was the first time that I had heard it. And as I was thinking about prayer, I thought, wow, that's actually a really brilliant credo, if you will, because to know God and to make God known touches every single aspect of the Christian life. It encompasses everything. It encompasses encompasses our sanctification as believers and also our efforts towards gospel proclamation. It's all-encompassing statement. To know God, as I was thinking about this, to know God is to know his breadth, right? It's to know as much as we can the depth of who God is. It's his, his expanse, which of course is vaster than we can even comprehend. To know God is to know the power of God, to know the might of God, to know his actions, to know his accomplishments and his victories, 
his love, his care, his affection, all of these things fall into the summary of knowing God. And of course, we know that in making God known, what we are doing is to take all of those things, his purposes, his ways, his plans, his grace, his might, his power, is to take all of knowing him, and in turn, it is to teach it to others who in turn do the same. And so as we begin this new year, I felt like what a wonderful place to just kind of anchor our hearts in is a, not only just a reminder, but an agreement between us as a faith community that these are the efforts that we want to give ourselves to in this coming year and in the years to come. And so I just wanted to begin by that statement. May we together pursue knowing God and pursue making him known. And in turn, teach others to do the same. What a wonderful way to start the new year. And then as it pertains to prayer, the undergirding of that very thing, uh, uh, being instrumental to furthering this Christian purpose is prayer itself. And this is what I hope to dig into, something that, that I believe that is absolutely and significantly designed by God for the effectiveness of his saints and of the church is prayer itself. And so as I've been communicating in these last few months, I believe that we are being called by the Lord to mature in this area greatly. I believe, and I think, if, and, and I'll speak more on this in a moment, but if we can be really honest with ourselves, we're on a spectrum. Some of us probably have a very robust prayer life, while others might walk around each day just feeling full of self-condemnation because you know you don't pray enough or you don't pray well, or you know, whatever it is that you are beating yourself up and over. I think there's a spectrum to it, but regardless of where we fall on that spectrum, I think we all can admit that we need to learn to pray more and to pray better. Would you agree with that? And I know there's some of you here that are amazing, amazing mature believers as it pertains to prayer, but I think that we can always find growth in this area of our life. And so I believe that for 2021, that God wants to reorient our thinking. He wants to reorient our thinking away from prayer being an obligatory religious act. And if you're really honest, we all might feel that way at points in time. That he wants to reorient us from feeling and, and approaching prayer as being an obligatory religious act and changing it into being something that is a vibrant faith habit. A vibrant, just think about the difference between the two. Obligatory, we go in begrudgingly into our prayer closet. So if we even go at all. We go in kicking and screaming like children sometimes. I don't want to go in here. I don't want to go pray. God wants to take us from it just being this kind of rote obligation into a place of robust vibrancy where we understand the necessity of prayer, where we understand the, the, the absolute need for us to be at the foot of the Lord Jesus Christ, to commune with him, to receive from him, to understand his will and his ways. How many of you want to know the will of God for your life? Prayer is where, is that, where that is revealed. I'll speak more on that as well. I keep saying that, but I'm going to have to talk about some of these things here in a moment, huh? I'm going to speak more on speaking more in a moment. That was a joke. Thanks. As it pertains to prayer, there are fewer acts within the Christian life apart 
from prayer, apart from prayer that God has designed for such a great blessing for his people. And yet in turn, we view it as such a great burden sometimes. What God intends to be a blessing, we see it as a burden. How often do we approach prayer like what I was saying? Like a child kind of kicking and screaming and not really wanting to go and to spend the amount of time that we know that we ought to or that we desire to or that we know and believe is necessary in order for us to just go on about following the Lord obediently. To further the point, there are fewer things I believe that within our faith that stimulate such profound growth as prayer does. And yet we readily neglect its engagement only then to wonder why do we still struggle with the same cycles of sin? Why do we lack maturity in certain areas of our life? Why do we question the purposes of God and the ways of God? Why do we live out of seemingly a lesser faith from time to time? But yet we neglect the very thing that God has designed. And I'm not putting this on us. I'm only trying to be really honest this morning. And I'll share some of my own growth with you all within these last few years. But if we're really honest, we deal with the same cycles of sin, and yet we don't pursue the very avenue of which Christ has given to us to grow and to mature and to find the grace of God to combat those areas of sin. Why is this the case? Because prayer is difficult, because prayer is laborious, because prayer is time-consuming, because prayer is an exercise of discipline. Obviously, the answer at times can be yes to all of those things. However, what I want to ask each of us today, and I ask myself included, is can we put aside our reasons and perhaps maybe even at times our excuses for our impotent prayer habits? Can we put those aside together? And can we allow God to ignite something new within us? To ignite within us a fervency to pray, a joyfulness in prayer. Who wants to be joyful when they pursue the Lord in prayer? I do. Who wants to have, have a deep fervency to pray for the Lord Jesus? I do. Can we put aside the reasons that we have put in place as to why we don't pray as often as we want to or perhaps that we should? And can we agree together that we'll pursue something throughout these next few weeks and months perhaps that the Lord would want to do in us to further us in maturity, to call us into partnership with him? Now, let me just say this. I know that those are perhaps some broad brushstrokes and as I said, there's a spectrum. But just for the sake of the conversation, um, I, I want to just, as I said, be, be honest with ourselves. So regardless of where we are at, the, the inseparable relationship of prayer and, and, separ- and sanctification help us to see that the Christian life and prayer are synonymous in terms of growth. Just like our sanctification grows and is progressive, so does our prayer life grow and is progressive. There's a connection between our growth in our personal life and our growth in our prayer life in terms of our maturity in Christ. Does that make sense? I kind of stumbled through that. I apologize. I was thinking about something else I wanted to say while I was saying that. But my point is is to set an expectation for us because I think at times we might think that, gosh, I've attained this. I've reached this point. 
I've made it now to a point where like, man, I'm on my A game at whatever area in my life. And I think we always must remember that the pattern that the Lord has designed for us in the Christian life is one of progress and one of transitioning to one to greater degree to another. And we must expect the same out of our lives of prayer. And therefore, what that does for us is it places before us once again the realization that we need to grow and to mature regardless of where we are. I said that much better that time, didn't I? I'm out of, guys, I'm out of practice here. I've been standing in front of the mirror, I'm preaching to my kids. It's been like a month since I've stood up here. Man, I'm rusty. No, I'm not, I'm just kidding. I want to share with you a quote from R.C. Sproul. I love this. I believe that we have it up here for this morning. R.C. Sproul said this, as to the importance of prayer. Listen to this brilliant connection that he makes. The goal of the Christian life, he said, is godliness born of obedience to Christ. That's the goal. So if you were to ask R.C. Sproul, what's the purpose of the Christian life? It's godliness born of obedience to Christ. Obedience unlocks the riches of the Christian experience. Think about that statement for a moment. Obedience unlocks the riches of the Christian experience. Prayer is what prompts and nurtures obedience, putting the heart into the proper frame of mind to desire obedience. What a beautiful connection he makes. In order to be effective, we must learn how to obey. In order to obey, we must learn how to pray, he said. Because in prayer, we are aligning our own will with the will of God. Again, how effective we are in this life is directly tied to our understanding and our participation in prayer. And can I just say one more thing as well as to the timeliness of this for Capital City Church. As Rick spoke of last week, what lies ahead of us will require such a growth that I'm speaking of at this moment. What I believe the year that lies ahead, the years that lie ahead, the momentum and the movement of culture that we are all watching and that we're all seeing and we're all at times holding on like this, wondering, is it gonna continue going the way that it goes? As we see circumstances around us become more and more dire and significant, what is our response, church? Is it to continue to white-knuckle it out and hope and just cross our fingers knowing that God will continue to preserve his church? Or do we take an offensive, front-footed approach to engage with what God is doing on behalf of his purposes for the church in the world today? See, the difference between the two is the difference of how we pray. And so I believe it is of the utmost importance, which I believe why God has been highlighting it in my own heart and in the other hearts of the elders, that these are the things that we need to give ourselves to in this time. I think that we would all agree that what we see coming down the pipeline of culture in moments is at the very least frightening and disconcerting to us. Let's learn how to pray. Let's learn how to take hold in faith of what God is doing in us and speaking to us and calling us towards. Amen? Also with this, there is a a remarkable duality of growth, if you will, that lies within prayer that shapes and conforms our will into Christ's will. And it's this, that as we confess 
and declare our dependence on God because that's what prayer is. As we confess and declare our inability to achieve that which we know needs to be achieved apart from God, we are simultaneously, listen, subduing and bringing into submission our self-reliance and our self-sufficiency. That's what happens in prayer. We're declaring our dependency on God, and at the same time, we are declaring our, uh, not independency, but (laughs) it's the opposite. We're declaring that we are not sufficient in and of ourselves. And that's the beautiful kind of duality that Paul speaks of when he says that he must increase, I must decrease, right? That's what prayer does for us. So let's look at a text today, and I want to begin very simply this morning, and I'll try to do this quick because I do, believe it or not, have a lot more to say. Uh, turn with me, please, first to Matthew chapter 6. And at this moment, you're going, I know what he's doing. I know what he's going to teach from. Keep your finger on Matthew chapter 6 and turn to Luke 11. Matthew 6 and Luke 11 are parallel accounts of what we know to be the Lord's Prayer. And I want to read them, though, in a way that joins them together because I love just the flow that the two have with one another. Beginning in verse one, I'm gonna read Matthew, excuse me, I'm gonna read first Luke 11, verses one through two. Now Jesus was praying in a certain place, and when he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray as John taught his disciples. And he said to them, Now turn to Matthew 6. Verse 9. And he said to them, Pray then like this Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation but deliver us from evil. We will use parts of Matthew 6 at various points to speak more as we teach through this, but this morning, I want to just concentrate on Luke chapter 11, verse 1. Five words, simple, yet I believe absolutely profound as it pertains to the beginning of our considerations towards maturing in prayer. These five words, Lord, teach us to pray. Lord, teach us to pray. As I said, Matthew places uh, Jesus' instruction in the Lord's Prayer. I didn't say this, actually. But Matthew places Jesus' instruction in the Lord's Prayer within the context of the Sermon on the Mount. So if you're reading through Matthew 5, Matthew 6, Jesus just kind of seamlessly finds himself to the Lord's Prayer. But what I love about Luke chapter 11 is that there's, there's no record of anything really great that Jesus has done. It's definitely not like a Mount of Olives moment, right? It's, it's not like a John chapter 17 type of prayer moment where the disciples are like, whoa, teach me how to pray like that. But what is it? It just says it's, there's like no context for it whatsoever other than Jesus was praying somewhere. He was praying in a certain place. And there was something about the way that he prayed that sparked an awareness in the heart in minds of his disciples that brought to them an awareness of their inadequacies and their inability to pray with the same effectiveness 
that Jesus himself prayed. And I love, just to begin, if we can, in this place, and again, another agreement as a faith community to make this our petition and request to the Lord. Lord, teach us to pray. In doing so, brothers and sisters, what does it begin with but the absolute necessity, uh, the the absolute uh, uh, essential beginning point of who is it that ultimately teaches us to pray? It is the Lord himself. It's a recognition and an admittance that our own words don't suffice at times. That our own intellect, even though we know much, is not enough to actually accomplish that which the Lord wants to accomplish. But there's something in him having taught us and in the impartation of the Holy Spirit that our hearts are ignited and our wills are brought in alignment with the purpose of God. Lord, teach us how to pray. Lord, teach us to pray. And it may seem simple, but can we recognize this to be our beginning point? Can we recognize our shortcomings at times in our own prayer life? our inadequacies, our impotence in our prayer life? Can we, can we recognize that and can we admit that? And taking then up the same posture of humility and sincerity regardless of how well we think we pray. Can we begin like his disciples, recognizing that there is still more to grow in when it comes to communing with God? May I just pray right now at this moment, join with me in this posture. Lord, teach us to pray, we ask. Teach us, Father, beyond what our preconceptions currently are, beyond our level of maturity, we ask that you would teach us, Lord. Teach us, Father, to pray in sincerity. Teach us to pray with fervency. Teach us to pray with joy, Lord, to pray with faith, to pray with boldness, we ask. Conform our will through prayer, Lord, into your will that the two might be indecipherable. Teach us to pray beyond just a moment in the day, Lord, but to pray with constancy, to pray through our unity with you by your spirit. Teach us, Lord, to pray outside of ourselves, not simply just prayers of requests and petitions, Lord, but that we would worship you through prayer, that we would behold you in your beauty, Lord God, that we would behold you in your excellence, in your grandeur, Lord. Lord, teach us to pray that we might be watchmen, alert, prepared, and showing care for our fellow brothers and sisters, Lord Jesus. Teach us to pray, Lord, that we might co-labor with you in the advancement of your kingdom here on earth. And Lord, We begin by confessing and declaring to our hearts that there is no greater teacher than you. Instruct us in these things, Lord, that we would be effective and lacking in nothing for our race of faith and for the work of your kingdom. Amen. Teach us to pray. So I want to take a moment and just attempt, with the time that I have left here this morning, to lift, as I felt like a good beginning point would be to lift off from us sometimes the guilt and the self-condemnation that we place upon ourselves 
Because again, I think me saying, listen, it's important to pray, we would all go, yeah, it's really important to pray. I think we all understand the importance of it. But I think what it is is giving it priority in our life. Allowing the Lord to help us reorient our lives, our opinions, that we might give it priority and placement. And so I don't think it's a matter of needing to agree on the importance of it. So I want to just take off this morning, though, that which we put upon ourselves. Again, knowing that we all need to grow, knowing that we all believe that prayer is important, I think that it begins with this very simple fact. It's the effects that sin has had on the human heart. Why is it hard to pray? Why is it difficult to pray? Because of sin that affects the heart of man. Mankind was created to worship and to commune with God. But sin brought into the hearts a division, a battle, a war between the flesh and between the spirit. Paul says this in Galatians 5.17, that the desires of the flesh are against the spirit. The desires of the flesh are against the spirit. And the desires of the spirit are against the flesh. For these two are opposed to each other to keep you from doing what you want to do, Paul says. Galatians 5.17. Listen, this doesn't give us an excuse, but it helps us to recognize where the battle begins. Why is prayer difficult? Because our flesh wars against the spirit. Paul would say in Colossians 3.10 then, in light of this, put to death that which is earthly within you. If the flesh wars with the spirit, Paul says, then put the flesh to death. How do we do that? By the grace of God, by the power of the spirit of God that lives within us, by, as R.C. said, submitting ourselves in obedience to the Lord Jesus Christ. By, as Paul would say later, that I beat my body and I make it my slave. That somehow we take these, these fleshly desires and we submit them before the Lord Jesus Christ and we ask the Lord for the grace to help us in the battle that we have. But listen, what a helpful place to begin. Why is prayer difficult? That's because we're sinful. Even though we are made new in Christ Jesus, there's still a portion of us that battles against that which is of the Spirit of God, that will always battle until we are finally glorified in his presence. But as Paul said, no, I'll beat my body. I will subdue my flesh. I make it my slave. May the Lord give us the grace to do the same. Growth in prayer is a matter of holiness. It's a matter of growth in righteousness. When we grow in our knowledge of God, and when we are transformed in our thinking, we grow in how we pray. I said this earlier, there's a direct correlation between our spiritual growth and maturity is, is new creation life and how mature we are in our prayers. But I know what you're probably thinking, well, I said earlier that, that, it, was, that it was prayer that brings about growth and transformation. Well, which one is it? Is it, is it our maturity that brings about our prayer life? Or is it our prayer life that brings about our maturity? And I would say that it's both. 
It's both of those things working together in this kind of symbiotic relationship. It's like my marriage, if you will. If I want to be a better leader to my wife and to my family, and I don't necessarily know how to do that perfectly and maybe in a mature way, I have to just step out and begin to do it. And as I begin to lead and to love my wife in such a way, my wife responds in like, and she begins to respect and to follow and to submit to my leadership. And when she does that, then in me it responds with a desire to lead more and to lead better and to love her more. Do you see what I'm saying? It's this kind of symbiotic relationship. The same thing happens between our spiritual maturity and our prayer maturity. The more we pray, the more we grow. The more we grow, the more we pray. And on and on and on. And the more we realize, and this is for me personally, within the last, I would say, three years to four years, my life in prayer has changed dramatically. And I know what most of you are probably thinking. It's like, yeah, well, that's what you have time to do is to sit around and pray all day long. Here's the thing. Here's the thing. It was difficult to form prayer habits, just like everybody else. Is time an obstruction to prayer? It can be. But I tell you, I know many men and women that work 40 to 50-hour jobs who are more mature than I am in their prayer life. Time is not always a hindrance. And I'll talk about more (laughs) in just a moment. (laughs) We'll talk about that more in two minutes. What was I saying? It's all right. Yep, thank you very much. Symbiosis. So the question then, I would say, bears being asked. So let me just say again, why is it difficult to pray? I think because again, we war within our spirit, within our flesh, between the spirit and what our flesh desires. That's a starting point to understand that. We can begin by combating that. We can begin by bringing our flesh into submission to the will of God and taking those first steps and saying, I'm going to pray. Why is it difficult? The next question I think that we have to ask ourselves is this. What are some of the hindrances? And I wanted to just identify, and I can do it fast, I promise. I wanted to identify three hindrances that I believe are broader kind of key hindrances that a lot of things fall within. And I want to use these as kind of guiding points throughout our time of teaching to allow us to address certain areas of growth. in the weeks to come. So the first is this. A hindrance to our prayer life, first, is a lack of understanding. Quite simple. We lack the understanding of how to pray. Responses in prayer. I mean, there's so much that goes into that statement. But it's a hindrance. We're hindered because we don't feel as though we have the, the, the real, the understanding of what God wants to do or when he'll do it or how we are to pray in this moment. And so therefore, we kind of throw these like half-cocked prayers out or we sling them from the hip and there may be just a few types of petitions to the Lord. The second is this, we lack discipline. We lack understanding, we lack discipline. That's a hindrance, right? That's probably one that we all find ourselves in. And the third is this, we lack faith. Now, what I do not want you to hear me say when I say that, there is no magic formula 
to prayer. That if you add two parts faith to one part eloquence, you get the end result, which is an answer to your prayer. I am not saying that, but what I am saying is, oh, I'm getting there too fast, hold on. Okay, first, as to our lack of understanding. This is addressed by answering the question, why do we pray? We lack understanding because I don't believe that we always fully understand why we pray. As we'll see in the weeks to come, there's many occasions in which prayer is the necessary response. Throughout the Old Testament, and I don't even need to say all of this, but we've got just a load of examples of when men and women were on their knees before the Lord Jesus Christ. And of course, we see in the New Testament as well that the life of Jesus Christ, the ministry of Jesus was one of prayer. He prayed before he healed people. He prayed after he healed people. He prayed in the morning. He prayed at night. He prayed before he raised somebody from the dead. He prayed before he spoke and before he taught. Jesus prayed. There again, there was no formula that he followed, but he prayed. We know that. So today I would say that nothing has changed. To, to bolster our understanding is to understand why do we actually pray? As Christians, we pray as participants and co-labors with Christ Jesus in his kingdom. We pray out of obedience, as I've already said, because we're instructed to pray, brothers and sisters. We pray for direction. We pray for wisdom. We pray as an admittance in recognition of our dependency of Christ Jesus. As believers, we pray, and as I've already said, to bring ourselves in conformity to the will of Jesus Christ. Those are just some of the reasons of why we pray. There's no prescription, as you can see, for prayer beyond the recognition that prayer is always an appropriate response. And as we learn this, we'll no longer see prayer. This is my desire. For those of us who find ourselves in this place, we will no longer see prayer akin to like a Starbucks drive-thru where we roll up and we place our order and we go by the window and we get it and we're done in five minutes. Listen, that sounds like harsh and judgmental. That's not the point. It's just to say, can we be honest with ourselves about how we approach something so beautiful and profound that the Lord has designed as a blessing for his people? And some of us need to also learn that it's not just uh, like requests that we make. Like we have to learn how to worship in prayer. How many of you have ever thought that prayer is worship before by a show of hands? Prayer is worship. It is. Prayer is worship. But so often, and as a kid we're taught, I think because of probably how our parents sometimes, no offense, how our parents model things for us, is that we just, we learn that prayer is something where we just ask God for things. That's, a, that's an infantile understanding. Now, there is an aspect that we know because he says, ask, seek, knock. There is a pursuit of the Lord in prayer, and we'll get into that in the weeks to come as well. But you understand what I'm saying, though. It's the immaturity that comes right into God that sits down. is like, okay, Lord, Jesus, this is what I need for today. Today is January 3rd. I'm going to need some energy because I stayed up really late last night. and I'm super tired right now. Uh, I'm going to need my kids to shut up because they're driving me crazy. And um, yeah, no offense to my kids. And I'm going to need my wife to go ahead and clean that bathroom. So 
Uh, oh, look at that. It's been 10 minutes. I got to go to work. Uh, that's, that's, that's crude, but listen, listen. I myself have been in patterns of like that in seasons where it's like, man, I know I need to pray. I'm just going to cram out 10 minutes right now. And I sit down and I cram it out. Listen, prayer isn't, a, isn't necessarily a time of day. Prayer is a posture that we maintain throughout the day. Okay. What does that mean? I didn't mean any of those things I said. Yes. Our bathroom is very clean. <laughs> I've spent two weeks holed up in the house with my kids, and I still love them to death. Second, so first, we lack understanding. Second, as to discipline. Okay, hold on to your seats. I'm going to do this fast. I'm coming in hot and heavy. The question that we have to ask ourselves is this. What do we believe, listen, what do we believe to be the Christian's source of wisdom and understanding? What is our source of wisdom as a believer? Where our time lies, brothers and sisters, where, is where we will find our hearts. The things that take the most of our time are the things that we value the most. Unless, I'm not condemning us. I'm just pointing out the obvious that we all know. Proverbs 2.6 says this, that the Lord gives wisdom. From his mouth comes knowledge and understanding. Lord, teach us to pray because he is the source of all wisdom. He is the source of all knowledge and understanding. So what are the primary means then by which he dispenses his wisdom to his people? Got a guess? Prayer. Prayer and the word of God. You want to understand what the Lord desires for you? You want to understand what it means to be a man on January 3rd, 2021, or a woman on January 3rd, 2021? Read the word of God and pray and allow the Lord to teach you and to instruct you in these things. But sadly, too often we turn to other sources in search of guidance and wisdom. And, and um, I know I'm up against it, but I want to just share this with you. Would you put the next keynote up back there, please? Is someone back? Yeah, yeah. I've shared this with you before, but listen, a friend of ours who's an elder at Southlands in Brea, his name's Brett, and um, he's created this thing called the Wisdom Pyramid. And he's actually now written a book to accompany it, and it comes out next month. Um, it's called Feeding Your Soul in a Post-Truth World. But I want you again just... I have found this, and I've shared it with you probably two or three previous times, I have found this to be such a helpful illustration in my own life. When I just want to take a quick barometer of where my life is at in terms of its priorities. He uses obviously the same type of diagram as the food pyramid, right? So the stuff on the bottom is foundational. It's what we ingest the most. And as you move up, we take in a little less and a little less and a little less and just Please bear with me here, but would you tell me what's at the top of that pyramid? What's at the top of the pyramid? The stinking flipping phone. The stinking phone. How many of you are like itching right now? Your phone's like twitching in your pocket. It's like he's talking about my phone. Right? Listen, we have to fight the same battle. We all fight it. Some of us, it's a little bit stronger than others. But can I just say this as an encouragement? Take note of this, would you? Can you read those for the old people here? Yeah. Yeah, I can. 
I'm going to move away from the camera. I have to get close to it too. Well, the bottom, well, let's, we'll just look at the pictures. The bottom is the Bible. It's, well, here, can I walk in front of the speaker? Okay. All right. So the bottom is the Bible. It says, God's direct speech to us in our only infallible source makes us wise by revealing God who is wisdom's source and standard. Next up is the church. God's spirit-filled people in local, embodied communities and across time. It makes us wise by orienting our lives around God. Sorry, I need maybe new glasses. The next is nature. God's creation and general revelation makes us wise by reminding us of our creatureliness and grounding us in God's design. Next, he suggests we take in books, sources of education, and carriers of time-tested truth. Makes us wise by helping us think more deeply, broadly, and carefully about God's word. Next is beauty, art, culture, creativity, wonder, rest. Makes us wise by engaging our hearts, showing us, sorry, slowing us down, and inspiring our worship of God. And then finally, internet and social media can sometimes make us wise, but when dominant in our diet, often makes us fools. Should be, I can't see that, approached, yep, intentionally and used sparingly. Wonderful. You can buy that on Amazon. Actually, you can pre-order it. I pre-ordered it. I'd be interested to hear what Brett has to say. But that is a genuine issue of why we lack discipline, because our priorities are not oriented rightly. Yeah, we've got them flipped upside down a lot of times. One of the good things that we can, that's helpful is, is like, what are the first things that we reach for in the morning? Do we reach for the TV remote? Do we reach for a phone? Do we reach for, you know, a book? Or do we reach for the word of God? So that's, that's helpful. Okay, I'm just going to, uh, I'm going to move quickly. And let me say this. James 1.5 says that if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God who gives generously to all without reproach and it will be given to him. He is the source. Lord, teach us to pray. And lastly, as to lacking faith, James will say later in chapters four, verse three, that you ask, listen, our prayer is hindered because we lack faith at times. And James would say that you ask and you do not receive because you ask wrongly. What does James mean by that? God speaks Latin. Learn Latin and you'll learn to receive rightly. Oh, he speaks Hebrew. Listen, the war with the flesh is a war with faith. Do we come to God believing truly what his word says? Ask and it will be given. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. Do we read passages like that, believing that that is a promise of God to his people? Now we know there's much to be understood in that, right? That, we, that, that, that within this asking and seeking, but at the foundation of it is a promise of God to his people. He spoke this just after teaching them how to pray in Luke chapter 11. It's what follows in the remainder of Luke chapter 11. 
So there's something about our lack of understanding and our lack of belief that causes us to not fully apprehend all that God has for us when we come in prayer. And I believe that it's here that we'll pursue understanding in our study of some of the more difficult and yet important matters of prayer as it pertains to faith, prayer for healing, prayer as it pertains to spiritual warfare, prayer as it pertains to salvation. Those are difficult, hard mysteries of prayer that we want to, that we want to uh, discover together and to build a sense of understanding in so that we're not just approaching prayer always as a mystery, wondering of like, man, did I get that one right that time that God will answer it? That, you see what I'm saying? So for now, what I would say just to, to land this here at this point is can we take inventory of our own hearts and truly be honest that what do we believe? Do we believe that God not only hears but that he answers? Do we believe that God answers, that God desires to answer? Do we believe that when Luke says, again, later in chapter 11, that what father among you, if he asks for a fish, will instead of a fish give him a serpent? The Lord as a father, just like I love when my kids come to me, the Lord loves when his children come to him and desires to give them the things. And again, there's more to explore and to understand within that, of how we approach and what we ask for, right? We're not going to go Creflo dollar style. We're going to ask for the things that are in accordance with the will of God. Let me just share with you a last quote, and then I'll pray, and we'll end it here. This was a quote <clears throat> by the, the late, great Charles Haddon Spurgeon, and he says this about prayer. Prayer girds human weakness with divine strength, turns human folly into heavenly wisdom, and gives to the troubled mortals the peace of God. And he says this, and I love this, we know not what prayer can do. Capital City Church, I don't think we know what prayer can really do. And I say that knowing that many of you are mature believers in prayer. Let's explore this together, asking the Lord beginning in this place today, Lord, would you teach us to pray? Lord, would you grow us in this, not for our own benefit that we would receive maximum blessing, but that we would be effective, as I've been saying. Let's grow in our understanding. Let's get beyond the discipline issues and let's find ourselves so alivened in faith that we cannot wait to be in the presence of God and to commune with him in prayer. This is my prayer for you as much as it is for me. And I told you I was gonna share some more of my story. I'll do it another time. I went long this morning. Maybe I was a little bit rusty after four weeks of being away. But um, I just trust that the Lord, even though I didn't teach a text this morning, I trust that the Lord will speak to us and will just launch us into a, a really in, a time of enrichment and growth in this area. Amen? Amen? All right, let's stand together. And now, yeah, I'll tell you what this has done. As I've been thinking about this, I tell you, it's changing already the way that I'm praying. That's been really really remarkable, just this awareness that I'm having of being intentional. <clears throat> Let's pray together. Our Father, we come to you because we don't have all the words all the time. We obviously don't have a revelation always of your will and your purposes. And Lord, we need to 
constantly remind ourselves that we cannot achieve that which you have called us to apart from your spirit and your empowering and your grace, Lord. And so my prayer in this, Father, is as we begin our endeavors into growing in this area, both individually and also corporately, that you would meet us with such great grace and such care as you are so faithful to do. I pray for those this morning who find themselves perhaps maybe even in how I said it, Lord, that you would keep us from condemnation, that you would keep us, Lord, from, from just kind of walking around riddled with guilt because we don't do the things that we need that we know we ought to do. Lord, we give those things to you this morning. We give to you our lack of discipline. We give to you our lack of understanding. And we give to you our lack of faith at times, Lord. And we ask, Father, that you deal with us swiftly and gently, Lord God. We, thankful, we are thankful that you are a faithful father who desires to give to his children the blessings that he holds for them. We understand, Lord, that prayer is a blessing and not a burden. And we pray, Lord, that you would now enliven our hearts in faith and in boldness and in fervency to understand the priority that prayer should have for us. Lord, we need you. We are reliant upon you. We cannot do what you have called us to do apart from your empowering. May we find it in prayer. May we find hope in prayer, comfort in prayer, joy in prayer. Mature us and grow us, we pray, for the sake of your wonderful name, for the glory of your kingdom, and for the souls that do not yet know you. Father, we love you. Bless those who are apart from us this morning. We ask for those who are sick that you would comfort them and heal them. And we ask that you would restore this church to full health in terms of it being able to be together quickly for the sake again of your name. Amen.